Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Best of the Best is powered by Airtable, the all-in-one collaboration platform used by creative teams at more than 200,000 companies worldwide to manage their work their way. To learn more and to get $50 in Airtable credit, visit Airtable.com slash Third Coast. That's Airtable.com slash Third Coast, all lowercase, no spaces. From the Third Coast International Audio Festival and PRX, I'm Palish Shah, and this is Best of the Best. Third Coast is an independent nonprofit arts organization in Chicago dedicated to celebrating the art and craft of narrative audio storytelling. Each year, entries pour in from around the world to the Third Coast Richard H. Driehaus Foundation competition. All told, Third Coast has crowned nearly 200 winners in the past 20 years. And this year was the most competitive ever, with over 700 submissions from nearly 40 countries. The 11 painstakingly selected winners are the stories we are thrilled to bring you here on Best of the Best. This hour, we're going to be focusing on three winners of the 2020 competition. And each one tells a story about the body flesh, bone, and brain. Each of these stories examines pleasure, health, and autonomy, all from uniquely different perspectives. Our first story is also the first ever winner of the Audio Unbound Award. This brand new category was created specifically for all of the performances, sound walks, animations, and other experimental audio works that just don't quite fit on a podcast feed or radio dial. The inaugural Audio Unbound Award goes to artist Jillian Walker for Songs of Speculation, excerpt. This work was originally developed as an in-person performance piece, but as theaters worldwide shut down as a result of the coronavirus pandemic, Walker teamed up with sound artist Ben Williams, and together they adapted the work into a new creative form. What you're about to hear is a lecture that explodes into multi-form performance, calling on the body, time, and the power of music to reclaim histories, forgotten or lost. Here's Songs of Speculation. Go, 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 go to, 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 to the Oh 
I used to own another way of being, of doing things, of living in the world. Before we had to hide away, we lived out in the daylight. Before shaming was made lawful and all the women were jailed for loving our parts, hips. That's what the way was before. That's where the way was. The way was in the hips. What else did I own? Did we? It was a different kind of world, not like today, not like it is now. Not that it was better, but there were different kinds of worries. Not if there were going to be herbs, but what kind. Not if the land would grow fruit, but where? And how do we find it? It was a different kind of time. Children ran round red from the dirt beneath their feet. We dressed them in white so we could see the earth's brilliance inside the creases where the dirt don't touch in the creases. It was a different kind of time. Not like today, but... Everything like today, where people so mixed up that everyone is trying to give everyone directions by pointing down their own noses at their own reflections, but convinced they pointing at their neighbor. What is this time, anyway? What is time, anyway? Anybody know? Anybody know anything? So, oh my goodness, what a beginning. We've begun. <laughs> That's an excerpt from my play, Tion. Now, my black feminist scholars have taught me to always define my terms, so we'll begin with that one. Tion definition. One, a series of headscarves or a large piece of material tied or wrapped around the head to form a headpiece, resembling a West African gele. Two, New Orleans word for the head wrap, a variation on the French word chignon, which refers to a smooth knot or twist or arrangement of hair that is worn at the nape of the neck. 3. Mandatory headwear for Creole women in Louisiana during the Spanish colonial period. 4. A misunderstood source of power. A tillon is a headpiece. When I started writing this play, I was trying to figure out what it was I was doing in the piece, and I love theory and I having theoretical foundations, so I decided that I was going to unpack what it was I was interested in with the play, Tiyong, and how I was going to build this world. What I decided is that what I was doing in the piece was attempting to take a real piece of history and essentially reconstruct what was happening in between the words on the pieces of paper, or what's happening in the shadows, or what's happening in the whispers, the things we don't know, which I decided was speculation. I decided that I was constructing a speculative history. So I'm defining speculation as 1. The exercise of the faculty of sight, the action or an act of seeing, viewing, looking on or at, examining or observing. Two, a state of repetition and revision that may or may not produce a final draft, repeating oneself as a ritual of being together. That comes from Stefano Harney. Three, being together, producing thoughts specifically away from what capital might find productive. 
often in the realm of slow temporalities. That comes from Constantina Zavitsanos. Four, imagining what exists that has appeared to recede or retreat into the background, yet also continues to reproduce. Fred Moten. Imagining what exists that has appeared to recede or retreat into the background, but also continues to reproduce. So, putting together speculation and history, Speculative history, then, is the exercise of the faculty of sight, the action or an act of seeing, of viewing, or looking on or at histories, examining or observing, interrogating the past from our various perspectives in time and space. Being together, producing thoughts specifically away from what capital has found historically unproductive, often in the realm of slow temporalities. Imagining the real history that has appeared to recede or retreat, but also continues to reproduce. This may or may not produce a final draft. Speculation is also a positional action. It has an inherent position based on who is doing the seeing. So how we see, imagine, and revise depends on where we are in space and when we are in time. Let's define time time, when we are as in, you know, born something something to right now, when we are as in our socio-cultural context, as in born in Jim Crow, living to Obama, when we are as in the day you catch me on. Maybe it's a side-eye day. Maybe it's a fantastic day. All of this has to do with how we speculate about history. Defining space. Similarly, space is where we are on the map. You know, the Midwest, the East Coast, where I am now, the Ivory Coast, Kathmandu, where we are environmentally, as in the projects, or a coal mine, or vacationing in Barbados, and where we are in life. Perhaps our second master's degree, a nursing home, at the grocery store using our food stamps. The point is that positionality can be endless, and each of us has a complex web of ways in which to place ourselves in relation to history. This also means that history itself is relational. Time and space can get in the way of our speculation. Our sociocultural context can cause us to be fixed into a way of seeing. The isms of our lives permeate our viewpoints and cause tunneling that we must actively speculate against in order to see the more textured truths that give a more human picture. So things like sexism, racism, classism, ableism, heteronormativism, anti-Semitism. These are just a few. I'm sure you can think of others. Not only do these isms affect our lens in the West, they indeed are our lens. Centuries of colonization and conditioned seeing means that logic, A plus B equals C, reigns supreme, and acts of imagining or speculating are dismissed, patronized, and considered inferior to fact, which leads to speculative history looking more like the timeline of World War I, 1914 assassination of Ferdinand of Austria, to the 1917 British raid of Anchor, to on and on and on. A line of conquerable events involving guns and pens. Another way of saying this is 
Perhaps our history doesn't have the dimensions we'd like to think. Which is why I can't believe this is happening in 2019, or I can't believe this is happening in 2020, or this just set us back 200 years can be harmful viewpoints. Why? Because time is not a colony, which is to say, who taught you to believe? Concepts of time have served colonial viewpoints. We must explode these viewpoints of time. We must say that 2020 is happening at the same time as 1720 and 1920 because that is what is true. Our positionality determines how in touch we are with this fact. This is why black women are from the future. Another way of saying this is, speculation is extremely valuable when imaginings of the past are real and the past isn't past at all and we are here but we are not and I am from the future. All black women are from the future because we are not meant to exist. So, what happens if we use thinking, feeling, and will as a means to see, to speculate, What happens if we use sound to relate to history? If we use color, if we use smell, if we use prayer, if we use our daughter's laughter, our feet, foreheads, follicles, bones, butts, and bellies, sound, sounds, songs, song. of seeing, viewing history from the perspectives of the unknown, the persons who lived and breathed outside of written histories. I started seeing differently when... I started seeing differently when I started asking questions I didn't know the answers to yet. And then came the songs. Part of what is happening now is that the ancestors are not waiting to be found. They are popping out of old walls and from under seemingly sturdy sidewalks. They are transforming tourist bathrooms into their own monuments and not letting us forget they built the wall on Wall Street. They are seeping from around and under vines that live like veins and veins that look like vases and voters and voices. Voices that do not ask to be chosen but are plum picked. It's you, it's you, you hear me, it's you I'm talking to and it won't do you no good to act like you don't know you hear me. No wonder you know good to act like you don't know you hear me. The 
satisfaction of seeing, viewing history from the perspective of the unknown, the persons who lived and breathed outside of written histories. Kara Walker couldn't be with me for this recording, so I'm going to read a quote from her thesis, 2002. It is not uncommon for black women to serve as metaphors, signs which mean other things, in books, movies, and TV. It is always of great interest to the public to hear a black woman speak her mind, for it causes the public to react to other signs, like fast food stores, etc., to see if they too can speak. I have an addendum for that. Jillian Walker, no relation to Kara as far as I know. Addendum. It is not uncommon for black women to serve as metaphors, signs which mean other things, in books, movies, TV, or on podcasts. It is always of great interest to the public to hear a black woman speak her mind without the reckoning with her body, with her personhood. So she sits at the bottom of the Statue of Liberty and waits to be corrected on what she really means when she says, don't touch me. Some desire to enter our bodies for respite from weakness, which does not exist under monuments that do not bear our names. I have no thing you want unless it is my soul you seek, which has no place but me. It can be whole fires. It gon' be whole fires, whole fires burn we. If we not care, careful, it gon' be whole fires burning we. Through the ages, time, through the different vessels, fire may as well just come with the baby when it shoot out the mother. Fire may as well, because they gon' burn in this place. It gon' be whole fires, whole fires, fires burn. If we not if care, we not care carefully, carefully, it gon' be fires, fires burning we through, through the ages, the ages time, time, through the different vessels, fire means we just baby, push out the mother, fire means because they because they gon' burn this Oh, 
As a woman, I feel the confusion between consent and coercion, feeling and submission, which is why your questions about my hair never seem fair. I can't think. Can I think? Let me think. Almost feel permission. I can almost feel permission. That was an abridged version of Songs of Speculation, excerpt, written and performed by Jillian Walker for CategoryOther.com. It was sound designed and engineered by Ben Williams. Songs of Speculation won the inaugural Third Coast Richard H. Driehaus Foundation Competition Audio Unbound Award. To listen to this experimental audio performance in its entirety, as well as the rest of this year's winners, go to thirdcoastfestival.org. Here's Jillian Walker speaking at our virtual 2020 awards ceremony. What happens when familiar monuments fall and we honor the ghosts underneath them instead? What are the possibilities of freedom, of love for Black women in America? What is time? These questions have only grown more potent and pressing for me since I started writing this work three years ago around this time of year and then performed it in a longer form this time of year. And now here we are, this time of year, these questions, this award. I don't take that lightly. 
May this be the beginning of a long line of audio unboundness, leaving what we no longer need behind and searching for what is needed. Weaving and unweaving sound waves to share ideas that will continue to move us toward a better and more whole culture of artists and human beings. That was Jillian Walker, winner of the first ever Audio Unbound Award. Let's move on to our Best Documentary Bronze Award winner from a show that's all about our physical selves. Bodies is a feminist documentary podcast that describes the journeys of different people seeking to solve their medical mysteries. It combines intimate, nuanced storytelling with health reporting to uncover the layers that affect health, like racism, sexism, and capitalism. In the award-winning episode, Not This Again, we meet Angelina Fanus. In 2014, Angelina was a journalist living in Brooklyn when she received a life-altering diagnosis. Angelina has ALS, a fatal disease that impacts the brain's connection to the muscles, gradually making it difficult to walk, speak, eat, and eventually breathe. She now lives with her parents and relies on them to help her with simple daily tasks. But as you'll hear... Angelina has a flame of independence that won't go out. If you can, move to a quiet place to listen to this story. And if you want a transcript, you can follow along at kcrw.com bodies or click the link in the show notes. Okay, here's an excerpt from Not This Again. Hello. Hey. Best thing, best thing, best thing. My name is Angelina Fenus. I am 34 years old. I live in Cleveland, Ohio with my parents and I am currently living with ALS. After I smoke, I'm able to speak for longer. My, my mom helps me smoke weed every night. <laughs>
I was living in New York City. I was working for Vice Media as a writer and a reporter. I was just enjoying my 20s. Working in media, you're working all day. And then you party. I was extra comfortable with drugs. I've always had a relationship with psychedelic mushrooms. It really started with my left hand. I was having a lot of trouble typing, turning on my blow dryer, little things. I was told I have ALS. There was no cure. I didn't get a time frame of how long I had, but most patients die within three to five years. I would lose my ability to walk, talk, live independently, and like was very scary. And I was like, no, this is not for me. And I was almost mapping out like, when I get to a specific point, I'm just going to die with dignity. My mom wanted me to come home way before ALS. I come from a conservative Middle Eastern family, and they just don't let, you know, young unmarried women go gallivanting around, which is exactly what I did. I was always getting into arguments with her over moving back home. And I looked at it 
I'm also the last resort. I put it off for as long as I could, but eventually I had no choice but to move home. My brother was driving a team to pick me up. Got in the passenger seat. On the drive back to my parents' house, I remember thinking about my mom. My mom was happy to have me home. And like, of course she was. Um, I was so angry with her. No, Mom, you should be mad because I'm mad and upset and the coming home signifies that I'm losing a big part of me. And I was like, fuck, I am just gonna eat and eat the mushrooms. The mushrooms hit right away. The sunset was fiery. The sky was just filled with colors. And as the sunset, all the lights were streaking. So I can see just long strips of light in the darkness. And it was beautiful. And I just, like, couldn't remain angry. I remember just feeling calm. I have someone who loves me. I forgave my mom. In that moment. Hold on, let me take a break. Wait a sec. I have water and that's why. That was an excerpt from Not This Again, which won the 2020 Third Coast Richard H. Driehaus Foundation Competition Best Documentary Bronze Award. It was produced by Allison Berenger with Hannah Harris-Green and edited by Bethany Denton with Cassius Adair and Caitlin Pierce for Bodies from KCRW. 
It was mixed by Mike Dodge Weisskopf with music and sound design from Dara Hirsch. Lila Hassan provided translation assistance. The managing producer was Kristen Lepore. We called up producer Alison Berenger and asked her about the making of Not This Again. Hannah Harris-Green, who was one of the producers, she pitched this story and she actually knew Angelina from working with her um, when Angelina worked at Vice. It was one of those pitches where like, there's there's something here, but it took us a long time to kind of be like, okay, we're going to commit to this story. We're going to do it. And we shipped Angelina a small microphone and we asked, would you be willing to record yourself? Like Hannah and I are going to get on the phone with you. Could you work with your caregivers to set this up? They did that. And you know, Angelina is also like really tech savvy, having worked in video and done a lot of journalism herself. They, you know, had the microphone set up on pillows and stuff. And it was three different interviews to three hours each. Um, Angelina had to take breaks, get water, eat some cannabis, and all of that loosened up her voice to talk. And yeah, I mean, we've kept in touch with Angelina. She's doing well. You should follow her on Twitter. Not so vanilla. She's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The other episodes of Bodies are narrated by you, but this one isn't. Um, Can you talk to us a little bit about the process of making that decision? Yeah, so one of the, you know, biggest challenges up front was that one of the things that ALS has affected for Angelina is her speaking. Hannah and I had talked to her on the phone and it was like sometimes a little bit difficult to understand her. And so a lot of the conversations early on on the team was like, you know, should I narrate this? Or we talked about, for example, having Angelina's sister almost like translate for her. And we had talked to Angelina about this. We, you know, we were, it was pretty transparent. We're like, look, we're, we want to obviously interview you. We are concerned um, about people being able to understand you. And like, that's, we want people to understand the content of your words. So we had a bunch of different ideas, but Angelina sent the tape to us and when we received the audio and listened to it, we're like, oh my gosh, like we can totally understand what she's saying. We don't need a translator. I don't think actually we need me to host this. Let's just stick with Angelina's voice. And we thought that by me coming in to help narrate this episode, it would take the listener out of just like settling in and sitting with Angelina. I can imagine there are a lot of decisions that go into um, telling stories, telling really sensitive stories about other people's bodies. And I'm just wondering how you think about language and framing when you're making these episodes. I mean, honestly, the way that we do it is by having a great team of editors and a great team and a diverse team. And I think that goes the same for like, you know, tropes about race or gender. Like we try to make sure that we have a diverse sounding board for these things. So in particular for this episode, one of the people who kind of like had an ear for that on the team is Cassius Adair. And we had kind of been talking about the story, like the story is about dr- using drugs to accept her illness. And Angelina did did talk about that. Um, but Cass listened and he was like, you know, like, let's not fall into this disability illness narrative of like accepting your disease. He's like, really, you know, to me, the tape that's here and what we should really focus the story on is like the transgressive ways that a woman with ALS seeks joy and pleasure. 
And I was like, yes, exactly. And let's push ourselves to really make the story about someone who is just like continuing to live their lives, like continuing to be themselves and having their caregiver give them a tab of acid so they can go to a trippy light show. Like, let's make this story about that. Absolutely. When it comes to reporting on bodies and disability, is there anything you'd like to see change or see more of in audio storytelling? Um, I mean, I think that on producers' end, I hope like more trust for the audience. I think sometimes in audio, we can fall into these patterns of being like, but we need to handhold the listener or people are just going to turn it off if they're confused. If they if they get lost for a minute, they're going to turn it off. And I think that's not really true. I think respecting that the listener will be okay with ambiguity and uncertainty and a, and a little bit of confusion, you know, people placing more trust in the audience, um, trusting that they're going to stick with you. I would love to see that. Allison Berenger, producer of the 2020 Best Documentary Bronze Award-winning story, Not This Again. To listen to this story in its entirety, as well as the rest of this year's competition winners, go to thirdcoastfestival.org. Coming up next, one man's sense of justice gets him in trouble at his workplace. Stay with us. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to Best of the Best from the Third Coast International Audio Festival and PRX. I'm Palace Shaw. Today we're listening to three winners of our annual Third Coast Richard H. Driehaus Foundation competition, each about the relationship between bodies and power. Our final piece of the hour won the 2020 Best New Artist Award. This honor recognizes the work of a producer who has been in the field for two years or less and has an original voice that we want to hear more from. And that is certainly true for University of Pittsburgh MFA student Bowen Wong. Bowen's first ever audio piece is packed with creative energy, suspense, and humor. It's a fast-paced tour of a moment in Bowen's life as he finds himself in an increasingly tenuous workplace conflict. Here's an excerpt from Infinities. On Saturday, October 6th, 2018, 
I was in West Virginia for a work retreat. It was a new job. I'd started at the end of August. The retreat site was a literal swamp along the Potomac, which meant there were mosquitoes everywhere. I forgot to pack bug spray, and when I went out for a walk, I came back with red splotches all over my neck and upper back. I sat through meetings and team building exercises trying desperately not to scratch, so that was bad. There were some good parts, though. During free time, one of my coworkers and I canoed across the Potomac and walked along a trail. The trail had lots of trees, and we climbed a mountain and looked at the trees, but now we were higher than the trees, which is different from being lower than the trees, and I think I prefer being higher than the trees than being lower than the trees, although both are good, just good in different ways. When we canoed back, the sun had set. Someone made a campfire, and we made s'mores. The guy with prematurely gray hair played songs on his guitar. He was pretty bad at guitar. I went into one of the cabins and saw some people playing a card game called Egyptian Rat Screw. I'm pretty good at Egyptian Rat Screw. The way it works is that everyone gets an equal number of cards, but you don't look at your cards. You hold them face down, and you flip them over one at a time. You go in a circle, and each person goes flip, 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 you flip them into a pile at the center of the circle. If you ever see a pair, like if someone flips over a 10, and the next person flips over a 10, then you slap the pile. And you take all the cards in the pile, and whoever gets all the cards wins. Like I said, I'm pretty good at this. But on this particular game, on this particular night, I was especially good. I was hyper-focused and my reflexes were hyper-sharp. It was like I had tunnel vision. I saw the cards and nothing else, and I kept slapping and slapping and slapping. And before I knew it, I had won. I had all the cards, but my heart at this point was racing and I had trouble breathing, so I went outside and walked around in the dark with my arms behind my head, trying to take deep breaths in and out, in and out. And after a while, I calmed down enough and tried to go to bed, which I think is when it all started. Me, lying in bed, at around 11 p.m. on Saturday, October 6, 2018, in a literal swamp along the Potomac. My diagnosis at the time was major depressive disorder. My diagnosis now is bipolar disorder. Bipolar has two phases, depression and mania. Depression is when you feel really bad all the time. Mania is when you feel really good all the time. On that Saturday evening in West Virginia, I became manic. I suddenly felt really good for no reason. I described it later like I had been wearing sunglasses my whole life, but didn't know it. And I finally took them off, and it was like I could see the world in color instead of gray. Like I was truly seeing things for the first time. I woke up the next morning and went to a meeting. We were nominating people to be on a leadership committee. A lot of the employees, including me, felt like our supervisors were treating us like kindergartners and micromanaging our work lives. They acted like they were our friends until we crossed an invisible line and they very suddenly weren't. They made us attend weekly seminars where we had to take personality tests and listen to lectures about how to listen, learn, love, 
and lead. And quote unquote network with people we had no interest in quote unquote networking with. And one time during a break, they gave us fidget spinners and silly putty to play with because apparently we needed constant stimulation to stay awake during these boring, pointless fucking seminars. So we were pissed, in other words. And there was more stuff we were pissed about, but those seminars were emblematic of everything wrong with the organization. We complained enough that they finally let us organize this committee that would give us more power, at least theoretically. We sat in a circle, me and my coworkers and our supervisors, and they handed out packets with different committee positions, such as event planning, recruitment, programming, social media. And I realized very quickly that this wasn't real. It was just management trying to placate us with fake student government bullshit. They'd give us the responsibility of managing their Instagram or whatever, which was just more work that we wouldn't get paid for. They weren't going to give us real power or a real say in the way things were run. And why would they? So when they finished their spiel, I said something to the effect of How much leverage will we actually have over you? And they said something to the effect of As much as you want. There are 42 of you and 6 of us. This is your opportunity to manage upward. They talked for a bit longer and left the room to let us discuss, which is when it dawned on me that we could take this bullshit committee and turn it into something useful, something that actually empowered us. Because like they said, there were seven times more of us than there were of them, and if we used that to our advantage, we could do whatever the fuck we wanted. So when there was a gap in the conversation, I stood up and said something to the effect of, I like our supervisors. I like them as people, but they are not our friends. They are our fucking bosses, and don't you ever forget it. They are one half of a hierarchy that pushes downward on us. Our generation needs to be angrier. Four degrees Celsius warming by 2100, we are fucked. They fucked us from the beginning. How much time did they give us for this meeting? Half an hour? They gave us a tiny little scrap of nothing, which we can turn into a beast. I had a panic attack in front of everyone. I felt pretty good. My coworkers told my supervisors about the panic attack. In the coming weeks, they took increasingly severe measures in response to my increasingly severe mental illness. They made me attend mandatory coaching meetings that would help me improve and grow in self-management and emotional management. They gave me a card for a local suicide hotline and made me call the number. They mandated that I see a therapist. They gave me a therapy confirmation sheet that said it is the organization's desire that Bowen Wong takes care of his mental health needs. Seeing a therapist weekly is part of that plan. Bowen Wong is asked to have his therapist sign this sheet after the completion of each session. A photo of the sheet should be emailed to his supervisor within 24 hours of the session. A hard copy of the sheet should be given to his supervisor after four sessions. During an intake appointment at a mental health center, I showed the form to the physician assistant student who first saw me, who showed it to the PA, who showed it to the therapist, who finally signed it. They all had the same reaction. They were confused, concerned, and a bit disturbed, because what kind of crazy person would be forced to attend therapy by their employer? In spite of all this, I got elected to the leadership committee. My position was accountability, which was made up, and which I assume meant keeping our supervisors accountable to us. 
I had the suspicion that while we were being underpaid, management was keeping the organization's increasing profits to themselves. So I started pestering them for financial documents, which did not help things, but after a while they gave me a PDF of an IRS filing. I think that was meant to placate me, but instead, I started doing some research. From 2012 to 2016, the number of employees increased from 12 to 35. Revenue increased from $244,503 to $678,871, which works out to be a 178% increase or an average annual growth rate of 44.4%. In that same time frame, the CEO's salary increased from $53,707 to $85,092, which is a 58.4% total increase or an average annual growth rate of 14.6%. But meanwhile, our salary from 2012 to 2016 stayed virtually flat with a total increase of just 9% or an average annual growth rate of 2.3%, which basically means that over the course of four years, the organization made more money and the CEO made more money because he was a member of the board that determined how much money he made. So he basically gave himself more money while we did more work but made the same amount of money. And also, the weirdest part was that in every IRS filing, there is a difference between the CEO's stated income and his unstated income that you could calculate by adding up different figures. Like in 2012, it seemed like he was making $9,000 more than what his stated income actually said. This happened every year, and over the course of four years, it added up to over $23,000 of unexplained, unaccounted for income. Our office was next to an accounting firm, and I managed to talk to one of the CPAs there. I showed him the forms and figures and asked him what he made of it, and he didn't explicitly say the word embezzlement, but when I asked if he could sign the form and note the time and date, he said he didn't feel comfortable doing so. So I went to another accounting firm and talked to the organization's auditor herself. She is the one who prepared the IRS filings every year. And she told me that the stated income was for the calendar year, starting on January 1st, while the unstated income was for the fiscal year, starting on August 1st. And I was like, great, that solves that. And she was like, great, I'll just call your supervisor and let them know you are here asking about the CEO's income. And I was like, great, see you later. On October 31st, 2018, I had a meeting with the CEO and a board member who happened to be a lawyer. August 31st, 2018, 1.14 p.m. I don't know why I said August. I was probably still thinking about the fiscal year thing. As has been communicated, there's been multiple instances that have occurred. That's the CEO. But when I would just add from uh, my perspective... That's the board member who's also a lawyer. I'm going to cut out specific names and details and anything I think is sensitive or relevant. And I think those have been laid out in terms of what those instances are with you. Mm -hmm. If they haven't, we can provide like a, a written list of all the instances um, that really kind of undermine, um, undermine the ability to function as a, as a member of the community. Right. So um, we want to like seek a resolution and you know develop a path forward as a collective unit around this. So I think um, you know the seriousness of this, we want to really establish lines of communication and build trust. So one example, I guess, of trust not being built is when we sent an email 
and then you apologetically said you want to do something or were apologetic in terms of reaching out and then later on that day or at least sometime on Monday afternoon went and met with our auditors. Would you like me to respond? Sure. I would prefer not to respond. Okay. You would prefer not to explain? Yes, please. Okay. Um, do you understand where we're coming from with that, or do you disagree? I absolutely understand. I'm trying to imagine the situation from your perspective. Sure. I absolutely and, understand. And we're doing our best um, to give you the information that you're asking for and be transparent, as we've discussed. That's why we're here today. But, you know, we can't have you going off and showing up at our auditor auditors. That's mm -hmm. particularly in light of the fact that we're giving you the information you're requesting. Yeah. I apologize. And I guess the fundamental question is, is this something we can come to an agreement on, or do you think, you know, you need to continue to do what you've been doing and reaching out to, you know, board members, staff members, third parties individually? We just need to come to an agreement on this. Yeah. And uh, appreciate your qualification earlier that this isn't coming from a malicious place. We don't view it that way, and I hope you don't view where we're coming from in a malicious way at all. We just want to get on the same page again. It seems like initially that was the case. Um, it's broken down a little bit, and we want to get back to the place where you know we're able to communicate and trust one another. Absolutely. Thank you. Is that something you think is possible? Yes. So, I mean, I think that there's, I think there's due cause for dismissal. We're not moving forward with dismissal. Um, we're moving forward, like I said, to come up with a, a resolution to, to create a path forward with you, um, and have you be a viable member of the community. In order to do that, we've we think that these are basically these need to be some agreed upon measures to take in order to continue to function as a viable as a as a vibrant member of that community. Would you prefer to use the word viable or vibrant? Member of the community. I think just as a member of the community. So, so no, no adjective then? No. Okay. Thank you. So, so basically these are the things. We want you to continue attending a weekly seminar and be a part of the program activities. Do you have, um, this is, could you email me a copy of this as well? I'm yeah. going to take notes on it. Thank you so much. Um... We want you to continue with your accountability position and agree to work and under the leadership of the leadership team requiring pre-approval from the leadership team for any action to be taken within the confines of the accountability position description. So any email, any meeting, basically you need to make sure that the team is on board with moving forward okay. um, with those pieces. So um, to review, understand, and be bound by the discipline, policy, and procedures. Meet weekly with a professional counselor for a minimum of four weeks. Um, I think that's already been shared. The next appointment needs to occur before um, November 9th. It's tomorrow, 3 p.m. Okay. Um, sign a release of information form allowing your counselor to communicate the following information, the dates of scheduled appointments, your attendance at those meetings, recommended treatment and level of care, and attempts made by Bowen to schedule appointments. So we need you to basically share with us a document that allows uh, someone to inform us that these things actually have been happening. 
um, and then take ownership of your self-management, self-care, professional growth, and mental well-being, and maintain a positive attitude during the process. Do you have any questions about the document? I do. But... Can I get some water? October 13th, 2018, I scheduled an appointment for their behavioral, their behavioral unit for therapy. This is something I did of my own volition and something I deeply want to do. And this is something that I will continue to do of my own volition. I would actually prefer if, I would prefer if information with my therapist I suppose the simplest way to put it is that I would like you to trust me that I want me to get better and that I would like you to trust me that I know what is best for me in terms of my mental health. I feel like I am qualified to make this because I have 23 years of experience of being me and you have known me for two months. So I feel like I should be the one leading my own mental self-care. And we agree, that's why you're setting up meetings to meet with someone. We're just asking basically that those, that, that information be provided, that those meetings are taking place. I feel incredibly uncomfortable with that. When I had my first meeting, I had to, it was an intake. I had to speak to three different medical professionals, and I don't have it with me now, and actually I do, and present this document. I had to explain this three times, and I found it embarrassing and demeaning. And that I found that the therapist or the mental—I only spoke to one therapist, but the three medical professionals who spoke to me, when they immediately saw this, they saw me in a different light, as if though I was quote unquote crazy, as if though I was quote unquote unstable. And I would feel like this actually interferes with the level of care, this level of management. And I would very much like to prefer to keep all of my mental health, self-care, confidential. Well, Bowen, we, we fully agree with keeping your, your... I would very... I think you know... Your care confidential, sure. What we're looking at is accountability on attendance mm -hmm. and compliance with this agreement. Okay. We're not looking to see... Your medical records. We have no interest in that. We respect patient privacy. Okay. I understand what you're saying, but I, I think what we have here is just two sides that don't agree, and I don't think I can sign this contract right now. And what would occur if I do not sign this contract right now? I think we're not going to have any choice, but uh, to go our separate ways. Okay. Okay. Have a wonderful life. My parents took me home the next day. 
On November 2nd, 2018, starting at 10.12 p.m., I sent 81 Facebook messages to my now former coworker, who in retrospect I was in love with. I wrote, One of my favorite things from Hard Boiled Wonderland and the End of the World is the Encyclopedia Wand. Maybe you remember. How do you encode all the information contained in an encyclopedia onto a toothpick? The answer is that you convert every alphanumeric symbol into a two-digit number. A equals zero, zero, B equals zero, one, C equals zero, two, etc. So you turn the entire encyclopedia into a very, very, very long number. And at the very beginning of that very long number, you put a decimal point. So that now, the number is between zero and one. Zero equals the bottom of the toothpick. One equals the top of the toothpick. And you make an infinitely precise, infinitely thin mark at that exact position between zero and one. I fucking love it. What the fuck do you think you're achieving right now? Why would you think this is in any way appropriate? What is going on where you think it's a good idea to send me a million messages at 11 p.m.? I don't know. I'm completely at peace with everything. I could die right now. But obviously, I want to live, because living is fun. Yeah, I'd say life is more fun than death. And nothing can hurt me, I guess. No. No, that's not true. I'm actually feeling physical sensations right now. Sweaty palms, palpitations. I guess I don't mind getting hurt. Like I said, I don't mind dying. You're the only person I can be completely honest to. So anyway, the encyclopedia wand. The point being, infinity goes outward and inward. You zoom in and in and in, and you never stop zooming in. Replace in with out, same thing. That's why I love Google Earth so much. Although at some point you can't zoom in or out. I'm blocking you. See a therapist for fuck's sake and stop taking the shit out on people who are just trying to be your friend. Okay. The next day, my now former supervisor and the CEO called my parents on their landline. They said that I had made passive suicide comments to a now former coworker, that I was a danger to myself and others, and that I should be evaluated immediately, preferably in a hospital. My parents didn't take me to a hospital. Instead, they took me to a psychiatrist who prescribed me antipsychotics, which finally ended the mania. I felt stable for about two months, and during that time, I tried to write a chronological account of the events that led to me being fired. I set a rule for myself that the account would be purely objective, no interpretation, no reflection, just a cold, rational account of the events as they occurred, as if I was an alien anthropologist studying a human specimen. I had a hard drive full of spreadsheets and PDFs and audio and video recordings. I would concretely lay out what happened and when and where, but not why. I never ask why. On Christmas, I developed a condition called akathisia. It's a side effect of some antipsychotics, and basically, I couldn't sit still. 
I would sit for 15 seconds or so, and then I physically couldn't sit for any longer. It didn't feel psychological, I couldn't think my way out of it. So I would stand, but I couldn't stand standing still. So I paced, and I kept pacing and pacing, and eventually I resigned myself to the fact that I would just pace for the rest of my life. I couldn't sleep, obviously, so I took the stairs down to the basement and back up to my room, and I did it again and again and again. It felt like I'd never sleep again, but I kept thinking that, hopefully, maybe in 48 or 72 hours, I'd finally collapse from exhaustion and stop being conscious of the fact that I exist. The obvious solution is to not exist. This is annoying, because not existing is difficult when you do, and I'm generally more inclined towards existence. But if existence meant pacing for the rest of my life, then the scales started to tip towards the other direction. But there's a third way, a psych ward, where the door to my room couldn't lock, and I couldn't wear shoes with laces, and the nurses checked on me every 15 minutes, and there's nothing to do but pace the halls. If you think about it, a second is a very long time, because the distance between zero and one is infinite. And there are 60 infinities in a minute, and 3,600 infinities in an hour, and 57,600 infinities between 8 p.m. on New Year's Eve, when I started making endless laps around the psych ward, and 12 p.m. on New Year's Day, when the psychiatrist finally saw me and gave me something that made me forget that I exist. Infinities. Written, narrated, and produced by Bowen Wong. Infinities won the 2020 Third Coast Richard H. Driehaus Foundation Competition Award for Best New Artist. That brings us to the end of this hour of Best of the Best from the Third Coast International Audio Festival. I'm Palace Shaw. The program was produced by Isabel Vasquez and distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. Third Coast's executive director is Shirley Alfaro, the artistic director is Maya Goldberg-Safer, and the program director is Emily Kennedy. The Third Coast International Audio Festival is made possible with support from the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, the Menaki Foundation, Arts for Illinois, the National Endowment for the Arts, Illinois Humanities, Agadena Foundation, and the Illinois Arts Council Agency. And of course, a very special thanks to our many individual contributors. Third Coast is an independent nonprofit arts organization originally founded at WBEC Chicago. You can hear winning pieces from all 20 years of our competition, as well as thousands of outstanding audio stories from around the world at our website, thirdcoastfestival.org. Thanks for listening to Best of the Best. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 